Uh, today uh, starts what we call Passion Week. Uh, it's Palm Sunday uh, today. Uh, we're going to continue this series, uh, Life on Earth. We're talking about Jesus' life on earth, uh, where we're looking at specific scenes in his life on earth um, that point to who he is and why we are who we are today because of his life on earth. How we know God and how we ultimately respond to God. Uh, first week we looked at baptism. Uh, Brett uh, taught on that. Why did Jesus get baptized? Why do we get baptized? Uh, so uh, we, we, we moved from there into miracles. Uh, Jesus performed miracles. So we would know the power and the promise of God in our life. Uh, that it's being fulfilled. Uh, not only did he do miracles then, uh, but he still does miracles now, and he does miracles every single day. And we can not only uh, believe in them, but we can ask for them. So we looked at that. And then last week, we looked at Jesus' mission and his message. Like, what is his message? His message is, hey, look, this is your heavenly father, and I am his son. And the Spirit will tell you that I am his son, and I will point you to the Father so that you will know who God is. And you can be a part of his family. You can be adopted into his family. So today, we're going to look at another scene. In fact, a very critical scene in the life of Jesus. And that, of course, is his crucifixion. One of the things about Jesus' life is that he died on a cross. And, and the question that we're going to wrestle with today is, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why, why was all that necessary? So turn with me to Romans, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the message um, paraphrase. Uh, Romans chapter 5, you can go there in your Bible app or your physical, tangible Bible. Verse 9, now that we, Paul says, are set right... What does that mean? It means that we were wrong. So we just got to deal with that. We were wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I don't like when people tell me I'm wrong. I like to always be right. Yeah, I got a witness right there. Um, but, but Paul just says, look, you were not right, but you were set right with God by means of this sacrificial death. He's pointing to Jesus' crucifixion. The consummate blood sacrifice. Okay, what just happened? Because, you know, if we're honest, uh, this isn't uh, ancient Palestine. This isn't ancient Canaan where people had blood sacrifices in their worship. I mean, if somebody, you know, brought a goat to church this morning and slit its throat in the lobby, we would all be like, whoa, call the health inspector. And that guy's just like, hey, man, I'm just praising the Lord, man. Okay, some of you are... You don't get it. That's okay. <laughs> What's the deal with the blood sacrifice? There's no longer a question, he says, of being at odds with God anyway. So what is he acknowledging? He's acknowledging the fact that we are born into a reality where we are not right with God. That is news to some of you. I get that. And maybe you've been in church for a long time, but nobody ever told you that. Like... When you sin, it's a big deal. We are taking God's, his design for us, his intent, his will for us, and we're turning our back on that. And what Paul is acknowledging here is he's saying, look, you're wrong, but you were set right by this sacrificial death. And that is the sacrificial death of Jesus. He goes on, he says, if... 
when we were at our worst, and that's different for all of us, you know, you know what it looks like for you. We were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death. In other words, somebody paid for the damage that I did. The sacrificial death of who? Of his son. Okay, so let's break this down for a second. God loves us. He created us. We were born into a life and a reality where we're not right with him simply because we sin. Because our human nature is against God. And we make decisions out of that human nature. So we damage our life. We damage the lives of other people. And ultimately, we, we damage what God has made right for us and wants to make right for us. And we can't pay for the damage. Like, we want to. Let's be honest. We, we, we want to make, you know, hey, let's just, I'll take care of it. Okay, I promise. I promise. I know I blew this thing up. Uh, give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. I'm going to be really good. I'm going to be really religious. I'm going to go to a church and I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to give a little money. I'm going to serve a little bit. I'm going to be nice to people, even the crazy people that I work with. Right? And I'm just, and, and I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to say, look at what I did and we'll be cool. Right? And the reality is no, because the only payment for the damage we've done is perfection. And nobody is perfect, said the great Miley Cyrus. Right? The Nashville poet. Nobody is. Nobody's perfect. No, no, nobody can do it except for one person who walked the face of their who we've been talking about for the last four weeks now. And only a perfect person can pay for the damage that we've done. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's just saying, here, here it is. Let me just, let's just acknowledge it. You were set right because you were wrong by the sacrificial death of God's son. Now, here's what I know. A lot of you get that. You understand that. You've been learning and relearning that all your life. And, and when I read something like that, you're just like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, all right. Because you've been to Sunday school and you went to summer camp. You went to college and learned it even more. You've been in church and you've been hearing it and rehearing it and learning it and relearning it. And you get it. You get how blood sacrifice uh, of, of, of the Old Testament is a representation of Jesus' sacrifice uh, on a cross. And you're like, yeah, I get... And, and when we get to points like this, you're finishing my sentences. And that is awesome. And you're going to have a chance today to hear that again and get excited about that and sing about that and maybe even help someone else get there too. Some of you, you want to get that and you know you should get that and you have gotten that at times in your life. But you sort of have lost your way a little bit or maybe you've gotten confused along the way. Uh, Maybe you just threw your stick in the fire with Jesus, not completely understanding that and thought that will all make sense later. I just know I'm not right with God. This person is saying that, that Jesus died for my sins and you, you went forward and you prayed a prayer or, and you've been going to church ever since. But every time we get to this moment where we talk about a sacrificial substitutionary death, it just gets convoluted for you. It's like watching Lost. You know, you're like, 
Were they dead? Were they not? Was it purgatory? Who is Jack? Is he really me? Does he symbolize us all? And what's with the dog? Some of you had no clue what I'm saying. But when we get to that, that's where you are. But today I believe believe it's going to make total sense to you. Not because I'm some clear teacher, but because we're just going to break this thing down and go, this is what it means. Now, some of you have no clue what we're talking about. You know, your cousin Larry brought you to church this morning and told you he would get you Cracker Barrel afterwards. And, and you're like, I'm here. But you guys are talking about blood. Like, that's weird. I don't get that. You're talking about Jesus. I don't understand that. And let me just say this. You're not the only one who's confused by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In fact, Gandhi, pretty smart guy, made a lot of changes in the 20th century. Uh, he wrote this in his autobiography. He says, I could accept Jesus as a martyr. Most people could. Most people could go, okay, here's a guy who died in what he believed in. An embodiment of sacrifice and a divine teacher. Most people, when they read the teachings of Christ, even, even some difficult ones, they go, man, that's a good thing. And I think a lot of people come to church, even in Lynchburg, and they go, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't mind it that much. I mean, honestly, you know, I take away some life lessons and some wisdom, make me a better husband or wife, better business owner, better employee. Uh, Sometimes I'll say something about finances and it kind of helps me get back on track with my finances. And, you know, I get that, you know, those people believe a little bit more about Jesus, but he's kind of, he's a good teacher. You know, Jesus was good. He, he, He made some sense when it comes to relationship. You know, you said an eye for an eye, a tooth for I tell you, love your enemies. You know what? I should love my enemies. That's a good thing. But, When it gets deeper than that, his death on a cross was a great example, Gandhi said, to the world. But that there is anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in that, or in it, Gandhi says, my heart could not accept. My heart just couldn't get there. Like I could get this, and I could get this, and I could get this, but him dying on a cross and that being mysterious and miraculous and I just couldn't get there. And I think there are people here today who, who, who are there. I think you feel that way. I think you, you go, I just, my heart's not there. Like, I believe in God. I even believe that I'm a sinner. But I think I'm doing okay. I think, I'm, I, think I got this covered. But today we're going to see something that I think will open your mind. And open your heart to this question. What is the crucifixion in a nutshell? Because you answering that question and me answering that question for the first time or for the next time has everything to do with this moment and the rest of our life and the rest of our eternity. How we respond to every single day of our life is in that answer. What is the crucifixion? And it's like, if you were just to encase it in a shell, and like, that's what, that's what it means. What is that? So, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. John, chapter 19. Uh, I was at Cracker Barrel this week, having some breakfast with some friends, and we were talking about old family stories, and one girl chimes in, and she's like, yeah, 
I remember when I was a teenager, uh, my dad, uh, who's a Florida State police officer, we were driving, and we were at this intersection, just kind of a summer drive with the family. And he, he noticed this really suspicious guy at the intersection. And before it was all over, my dad is like in a shootout with this guy. He shoots and kills this guy in the Walmart parking lot right in front of us and all these other people. Saves the day. He's a hero all before breakfast. And I was just like, okay, your dad could beat up my dad. Yeah, you're just like, okay, your dad's awesome. Like he's Jason Bourne at Walmart, you know. So, and so we, those are the kind of stories that people were telling. And uh, Drew Miller, a lot of you guys know Drew. Drew uh, leads Brentwood Music here. And uh, he, he leads uh, from this stage from time to time, develops our worship leaders like Dylan and so many more. Does a great job. We love him. He chimes in. He's like, okay, here's, here's, here's what happened. I was 16 years old. He says, my, da- my, or my older brother, he's um, one of six siblings. He says, his older brother had this Honda Prelude. It was all fast and furious out. You guys know what I'm talking about? He's like, he had it all kitted out. And it was awesome. Low to the ground. And out of the generosity of his heart, his older brother said, hey, you can, you can drive it. So Drew, as he tells the story, said he decided that he was going to see what was in the car. So he, he's driving it down this little you know, Georgia back road, and he takes it to 115 miles an hour on this back road. That's fast. That's furious. Okay, in case you're wondering. Before it's over, he's spinning out. He's like spinning, spinning, spinning. Flames in the windshield from a breaker box or something that he hit. He didn't even know. It was just like, it was gone. Spinning, spinning, spinning. He stops eight feet from this from this giant concrete sign that if he were to have hit it, would have toppled over and crushed him. And he, and he walks away. The car is totaled. Okay. He's alive with a few scrapes. So you're at the scene. Take, take, and you know, within moments, the authorities are going to show up, of course, but so is your older brother. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you've just totaled his car. What happens? What's going to happen? Here's what happens. The most surprising thing you would ever think of. His brother gets to the scene. Runs up to his little brother who's just totaled his car. The car that he's been paying for blood, sweat, and tears. He's, you know, summer job and, and, and doing everything he can. He finally gets the car the way he wants it. Finally, just out of the gratitude of his heart, lets his little brother, here's the keys. You take it, little brother. I love you, man. I hope that I can bless you with it. Totals the car. His brother runs up to him at the scene of the accident, embraces him, and says, I'm not worried about the car. I'm just glad you're alive. Man, that's beautiful. That's like a State Farm commercial right there. Yeah. I'm not worried about the car. I'm just glad you're alive. How in the world is that possible? Like, if there's ever a moment where your mom would let your older brother beat on you, that would be the moment. And yet, 
the older brother says, I'm not worried about the car. I'm just glad you're alive. How was he able to do that? Let's just break this down for a second because I think this is important because this is the gospel, guys. Older brother gets to the scene, sees that his car has totaled, instantly knows that he's been paying insurance on that car. Right? Every month, paying insurance, paying insurance. He also knows, older brother also knows, that he's been wanting a new truck. Right? But he's got this car. And, and, you know, he's going to have to go through the uh, selling the car. And is he going to get enough money? And then he's got to go back. But all of a sudden, little brother totals the car for him. Somebody's getting it. Somebody's fix, figuring it out. All right. Totals the car for him, which means in two months after all the insurance adjustment and everybody comes out and, and figures out, okay, yeah, it pays out the insurance. And he goes out and buys his brand new truck, which is actually what happened. In the moment, though, big brother runs up to little brother, says, I'm not worried about the car, subconscious, because I get a new truck. <laughs> I'm just glad you're alive. Mm. Some of you want to sing right now. Okay, so, he said, John, what, what does all that mean? Somebody's got to pay for the damage, guys. Uh, you don't just walk away from that and nobody's paying. So here's what it is. Either A, Drew pays and would still be paying today with blame, shame, and his paycheck for his brother's car that he wrecked five, six, seven years ago. Drew's brother has to pay. For a car that's totaled that he can't drive that's sitting in some junkyard in Gwinnett County. And every month he has to write a check for a car he can't. Because little brother wrecked it. Somebody's paying. Emotionally. Spiritually. Or a third party steps in and says, we got it. You guys just be brothers. We'll take care of it. In fact, not only that, we'll just make it better. And when you stop and think about that, it's exactly what the cross is. Our Heavenly Father paying the insurance, prophet after prophet, patriarch after patriarch, poet after poet, until we get to Jesus, who hangs on a cross, brings the insurance, and says, I'm paying for the damage done. I'm glad you're alive. Don't worry about it. Wow. And that's where we get to at the scene of the crucifixion. You know, that totally makes sense to all of us when it comes to property damage, doesn't it? Somebody's got to pay. Like we get that. We get that somebody has to pay even in relationships. Somebody's got to say they're sorry. But why is it so difficult for us to understand that when we sin against ourselves, against others, against God, that somebody's got to pay for that? Tim Keller asked this question. He says, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just forgive us? I mean, couldn't Drew's brother have just said, hey, don't worry about it. I don't know what's going to happen. 
but I forgive you. Sure, he could have, but he still would have taken on the burden of that wreckage. This is what many ask, Keller says, but now we can see that no one just forgives if the evil is serious. No one just forgives. Think about it when you forgive somebody. What are you doing? You're taking on the suffering that you want them to have when they say they're sorry. When somebody comes to you and says, I did you wrong, I sinned against you, there's a part of you that wants vengeance. There's a part of you that wants a pound of flesh. There's a part of you that wants them to just feel it. And so when you forgive them, you are taking that on yourself. Mm. Mm. You're saying, I will take the suffering that I want you to feel instead. And this irony takes place. On one hand, you feel peace. On the other hand, you feel sacrifice. Oh. And that's what Keller is saying. He said, forgiveness means bearing the cost instead of making the wrongdoer do it. And that brings us to a question as we enter the crucifixion. What does the suffering of forgiveness enable us to do? Well, let's look at what Jesus did for us. Jesus has been arrested. He's been illegally tried. He's been tortured after being convicted. And now he's hung on a cross for several hours waiting for death. And in the last few ounces of his life, look what it says. Later, after all this has happened, Knowing, and that's a big deal, Jesus knows something. What does he know that we need to know? Knowing that everything had been finished or fulfilled, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. So Jesus is there. He knows that he's getting ready to give up his last breath. Like he knows that he's dying. And it says there in John's gospel that he knew something. What did he know? What did he know? 700 years before that moment, God had laid another insurance payment down through a prophet named Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He is foretelling of the coming Messiah. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. Poured out his life. So you get that image of, of bleeding out of death and was numbered with the transgressors, which means that almost he shouldn't have been, but he was. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession, which means stands in the gap or represents for the transgressors. Wow. What, is, what does it say in, in, in Isaiah's prophecy? 700 years before Jesus is hanging on the cross going, okay, okay, it's done. This is, this is what I know. That this prophecy is that in that moment, he was becoming sin. He was taking our wrongness. What we would do, past, present, and future, to be wrong with ourselves, to be wrong with others, to be wrong with God, to sin. He was taking that on in that moment and he was paying for the damage. 
Somebody's got to pay for what we damage. It's either us, which is an unpayable debt, because only perfection can make it right. Or it's a third party that steps in and says, Heavenly Father, I'll take this so you and John can work on the relationship. Mm. So that you and Mary can work on the relationship. I'll take this. I'll take that lie, that lust, that addiction, that adultery, that divorce, that you fill in the blank. That little secret that's turned into a big secret. I got that. I got that. Now you two work on the relationship. And our Heavenly Father comes in and says, Yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about the car. I'm not worried about the sin. Back to John 19, verse 28. Jesus said, I am thirsty. So he's dying. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. What does it say? It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. I want you to go to that moment in your life where you felt absolutely unworthy of God's love because of your sin. And, and you, you, you had a conscious moment where you're just like, you know what? I think I just crossed the line. I really do. I think I, think I, just, I just left God's love. And in, in that moment, wherever that moment was, you got to hear Jesus saying, no, no, it's finished. It's finished. You're, you're not going to pay for that. In fact, you can't. You can't. You can never... Your good intentions, you're exercising your spiritual gifts, going to church, being nice, trying to be nice. It's not going to cover it. I'm doing that for you on this cross right here, right now. Wow. Keller goes on to talk about, finish that thought about forgiveness. He says, we forgive so you can reach out in love to seek your enemy's renewal and change. Isn't that so true? You forgive somebody who's become, in a sense, your emotional or relational enemy. Why do you forgive them? So that you can be a part then of their change, of their transformation. If, if neither one of you are acknowledging the rub and the sin then there's this thing that nobody's acknowledging and talking about. There's this gap, there's this tension, there's this wall between you. Until finally somebody says, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I had this happen this week with my family. We were in, in the, all in the van, we're trying to make a decision and it was everybody against me. You ever in that situation, men? Yeah, you got your three kids and your wife and they're just like, no, you're wrong. And I was, man, I was standing my ground. And then I was just like making everybody wrong. My daughter's crying. 
My wife's crying because my daughter's crying. And I'm right. Right. Go ahead. You can cry. Work it out. Because I'm right. And there I am on my throne of right. And I realize that I'm wrong. Not only am I wrong, but even if I was right, I went about being right really wrong. Some of your head just spin right there. I know you did. You'll get it. And I said, you guys are right. And I'm wrong. I said, we need, we need to just start making some decisions about moving forward with this. So I turned around. I said, okay, guys, here's what we need to do. And, just, and, and my son, Ethan, stops me. And he says, hey, Dad, I'm going to need an apology before I can move on. Oh! Yeah, it's the red hair, you know, they get feisty. But he was right. He's right. I mean, I could, I could start getting down to business. Hey, guys, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're right. Okay, let's get down to business. Hey, but who's going to pay for the damage you just did? Oh, let's just not worry about that. No, no, no. Have any of you ever had seasons in your marriage where you keep blowing stuff up and then you finally come home and you're just like, you know what? We need to get this right. Let's just, let's just be right. And your wife's going, okay, yeah, but how about an apology? Because somebody's got to pay for the bodies you just ran over over the last six months. So, I said, I'm sorry. You're right. I handled that, I handled that wrong. And I need your forgiveness. He said, I forgive you. And he looks at everybody else like, you guys forgive him? We forgive you. And you know something? We were then able to move forward in the changing stuff. Why, why, would we, why would that totally make sense to all of us just now with a human relationship? But somehow we think that God has just this cosmic different heart. Like he didn't put his heart on us. Like we're not made in his image and we don't have relationships. Like, like he has relationships on another level. And yet he keeps communicating over and over and over in the Bible. I'm, I gave you my heart. Like you're... All the stuff that you do right and wrong in relationships, I'm, I'm helping you with. Like, this is it. This is like, this is a reflection. This is a mirror. And like, we totally get that, that somebody's got to pay for the damage in our human relationships. Why would that not be so eternally with God? Well, it is. And he's communicating that. And he's like, look, you can't say it. You can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. All you need to do is say, you're sorry. Just just own it. And my forgiveness will rush in. Like I will be there. Somebody's paid for it. 
I will rush in and I will say, I love you. I always have loved you. There's been this thing between us. We haven't been right and you've been mocking me. You've been dodging the question. You've been justifying it. You've been ignoring it. You finally acknowledged it. And now you can see me clearly that I've paid for this. And it's right and we're right. Now, let's go. Let's do this. Let me bring out your image or my image in you into your life. Change the world through you. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is the crucifixion in a nutshell? Here it is. God pays for our damage that we can't afford. So we can have, so we don't have to live and die without it. Let me repeat that. God pays for our damage that we can't afford. So we don't have to live and die without it. You got to get this. You got to get this. Somebody's got to pay for the damage. Listen, I know your fifth grade teacher. When you, when you failed the test or the quiz, came up to you and said, You're so special. I gave you a sticker just because I love you and you're special. Don't worry about the fact that you got 90% of it wrong. I still think you're a winner. And you've been carrying that throughout your life. Well, I'm just a winner. I know I just blew that up, but my fifth grade teacher told me I was special. And we get to Romans. And Romans says, man, you're not right with God. Like, he, he, he created you and he loved you, but you're not right with him. And you need to be right with him. He wants you to be right with him. And you can't do anything to do it. And so he has paid the price for you. And now you just own it and you accept it. And then in that moment, transformation and change can begin to happen. Mm. I love the power of story. And um, how many of you watch Duck Dynasty? Ever watch that show? Like, I guess 12 million Americans, like, on a weekly basis. I mean, that's like crazy numbers, how many people watch the show. And I, I, my kids love it. I've seen a couple episodes. I, I, I think it's kind of, I think it's clever, and, and I, love, I love their story. I think they have a cool story. Um, but I was recently watching and, and noticed the story on the I Am Second website of Jep Robertson, who's one of the sons. And sort of how he grew up in this home, is a very spiritual home, and he kind of was this religious kid going to church, and how he, he left all of that and kind of went to the world. And it's a powerful story that I think talks about everything we've talked about and how his family was able to, to call him back to the family. And I want you to take a look at this story because I think it's I think it's your story. It's my story. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You can celebrate that. Yeah. Here's what I love about that story. You know, that's country Louisiana. You know, but it's the same in Manhattan. It's the same in Columbus, Ohio. It's the same in Seattle. It's the same in Lynchburg, Virginia. 
culture might be a little bit different. Color of skin might be a little different. But the same thing is the same thing. And that is, man, we do things to make ourselves not right with God and others. And, and he brings us to the, to, the, to, the, to the table and he says, look, look, here's your choices. I love you. I love you. But, but we can't keep doing this. And so I, I just got to let you go. I got to let you go do your thing. Because you're not a robot and you're not, I'm not going to make you love me and I'm not going to make you follow me. Or, or you can just come on back. And I, I don't, no, I don't, you don't, you don't need to pay for it. You don't need to shame yourself. You don't just, you just say, you just say you want to come back. You just own it and accept our forgiveness. And then once that happens, it's kind of like, okay, whatever duck hunting is to you, you know. All right, now let's, let's work on this. Let's get, let's get things. It's not going to happen overnight. We'll get you out on the lake. We're going to get you working. We're going to heal you. We're going to change you. But it starts with the moment where we fall to our knees and we just say, I'm wrong. And you've made me right. And I'm sorry. And I accept your forgiveness. I think some of you get that and you're, wait, you're waiting to celebrate that today because you made that decision five months ago, five years ago, 15, whatever. I think some of you, though, are here today because you're tired of running. You're, tar- you're tired of trying to figure it out. You're tired of trying to justify it. And you just need to come on home. You need to just say, I, I, I got I to gotta just, I got to ask forgiveness. I got to accept it. And it's in that moment that change and transformation starts to happen. And you're not going to walk out of here with all your problems solved and all your relationships mended. You're going to have to, you're going to have to go duck hunting. I don't know what that is for you, but, but you know what? I want to give you an opportunity today. Just come down here and let this family get around you just like Jeff's family did and help you make a decision that we've all made. A decision we didn't get for a long time. Like, I don't know why somebody has to die. I don't know why it has to be Jesus. And then all of a sudden it just gets clear because I can't. I can't. So if that's your story, I want to give you an opportunity to come down here. And I want to invite you to come down here. And it's going to be uh, putting the fear and the pride aside and just saying, I just need Jesus. And so if that's you, I want to give you that opportunity as we sing. We're going to sing a few songs. We're going to respond and participate in different ways today. But... I want to give you, first and foremost, the opportunity to come down here and pray. Some of you may just need to come down here and just, just pray and ask, ask for forgiveness. And, and I get that. And you, you can take communion and intercede and confess, as we always do. I'm asking you to stand today. And if your story is the prodigal son, if your story is you're standing at the wreckage and you're wondering who's going to pay for it, well, Jesus did. And, and I think today is the day where you just accept that. Father, right now, I just ask... You take the spirit of fear and pride out of here. That whatever enemy, whatever the enemy and the confusion that the enemy wants to bring to this moment, that that you just rebuke that, and you let people today respond without fear, but with confidence today in your love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen.